Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio. I'm Darren Hefty, joined by my brother Brian, and we're getting a crop progress update today. Get a lot of demand from from uh, some of our listeners saying, you know, we just want to hear how the crops are doing all over. We love when you get farmers on from different parts of the country. So if you are so inclined today, we'd love to have you call in. Tell us how the crops look in your area and on your farm. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always send us an email as well, or if you have a picture or a soil test or plant tissue test you want to send in, that's a great way to do it, radio at agphd.com. Well, crop progress update for our farm is a lot more rosy today than it was last week because we finally, finally, finally got a decent rain here, and that is amazing. Yeah, so we'd been talking about it a little bit last week, but if you look at Sioux Falls, South Dakota, we farm about 10 miles north of there. Um, Most of our ground is within just a few miles of our home farm. We farm about 3,200 crop acres. But uh, anyway, in in a calendar year for Sioux Falls, South Dakota, the nearest big town, the lowest they've ever had is 15 inches of of total annual precip. That includes the snow. Well, (laughs) from July 6th last year to July 6th this year, we had a grand total of 10 inches of precip counting the snow. So that would be the lowest 12-month point or at least that 12 months would be lower than any full calendar year in history. Now, I don't know if there were any other 12-month time periods that were that low or not, but I just know this. Um, that's not a lot of rainfall when you don't have irrigated ground. And fortunately, we have heavy ground. We usually have cooler temperatures, and that saves us. But this year, we'd had uh, almost record heat in June. So it was, it was looking kind of brutal out there. But now here in July, things have cooled off. We just got an inch and a half of rain on Saturday. So, yep, I'm feeling a whole lot better. Plus, there's another good chance of rain coming up on Wednesday. So in terms of our crop progress here, I will just tell you, for our region, I would say we're going to be down 20 25% on corn, assuming we get normal rainfall to finish things out. We're still going to be way down. In terms of beans, we've only lost a little bit of our yield potential so far because of no rain, but uh, you know we could still have 95% of normal crop if we get normal rainfall from here on out. So we'll see what ends up happening. I'm just happy that crop prices are as good as they are because there's no possible chance we will have the normal our normal yield or tonnage on our farm, even if we had record rainfall from here on out. There's just too many bushels already lost because of the heat and the dry weather that we had all spring long. But anyway, other than that, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic, you know, in terms of total profitability on the farm. I, I'm hoping that because of the crop price, it'll turn out okay. I'm optimistic that because we're going to have an early harvest now this fall, because everything is ahead of normal, that uh, we'll be able to get our fall field work done and, and get, you might not think about this a whole lot, especially if you're from the southern U.S., but here in the northern U.S. or in southern Canada, our, our challenge is always, if we don't get harvest done on time in the fall, that means we can't get our tillage done sometimes, which then means we're behind the eight ball in the spring, and there is a lot greater chance that we have a problem the following year. 
So what happens already to us starting in September and early October has enormous ramifications into the following crop year. So when I see crops being ahead of normal, ahead of the normal growth stage at this point of the year, that always is going to make me excited. When we have delayed maturity, meaning we have delayed harvest, then I get really nervous about the following year. So yeah, it's just it, it it's an interesting place to farm, and I but but like I say, I'm I'm optimistic. I think things are going to turn out good this year, and hopefully great next year. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, got a couple of soil testing questions here, so I'll just tackle these at the same time. Kathy said I was watching. Your program, you were talking about soil testing, just wanted to know about the tool, the infield tool that you were using. Couldn't find the information I was looking for on your webpage. And then Andrew from Northeast Iowa said, I attended your Young Farmer Field Day, which was a great event, and I learned very much. That same day, I ordered my own soil probe, set up an account at Midwest Labs. I'm trying to plan out my soil testing for this fall, and I'm curious what soil test or soil test package from Midwest Labs do you recommend? I want to make sure I get all the data needed to make the appropriate management decisions. All right, thanks, Kathy, and thanks, Andrew, for your questions. Okay, when Kathy says tool, that doesn't, there are a lot of tools. So are we talking soil probe I, there I, or what? I'm assuming she's talking about the Ag PhD Soils app. That's a free download. Oh, I, I thought you we were talking about the, an actual soil probe, but go ahead. Well, I, I was thinking you were thinking about the app. Uh, so, so the Ag PhD Soils app, free download. You can find that for your smartphone or your tablet. That's what we're using. Uh, and then you can just use the GPS from that device to, to find your points out in the field. You just have to build your fields. Uh, in the office and get everything set up so when you get out to them, you know exactly where you're at in each field. And then from what Andrew had said as well, and that might be where Kathy was going, is just the soil probe in general. You can can find a stainless steel soil probe in, in many places. Uh, we don't sell those or anything, but, but you can find them from... Uh, from lots of places online. Uh, so to Andrew's point, which which soil tests do we use? We generally use the S3C test, and that's been uh, a complete test with uh, all the things that we talk about here on the show with all the required uh, primary, secondary micronutrients as well as organic matter, base saturation tests, CEC, soil pH, and so on. So with that S3C test, we, we get all the data that we're looking for. So you well, can take a look at it, Andy. Not if you quite wanna, all. If you want to so, look at additional testing beyond that, you sure can. Right. Uh, but the other thing you could do, rather than run that S3C test that is going to give you uh, – a different type of micronutrient testing. You could go Malik 3 and save yourself about 10 bucks a test or so. So you could look into that for the complete Malik test. That would be just fine. We're probably going to be switching over a bunch of our stuff to Malik tests uh, rather than, uh, well, anyway, rather than the standard test that Midwest Labs has been running. But either way, we've got good data. The big thing is we just want to see you have base saturation done, have all your micro, or as many micronutrients done as you can, so we have a more complete answer for you as to what could or could not be causing yield problems on your farm. Well, we're going to talk about crop progress right after this. When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. 
That's the Enlist Wave Control System. Just better. With no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weave control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com. In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Daikon IGR and Sentinel EC insecticide, or Daikon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. Join us for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We're putting on a full day that you won't want to miss. Yield champs will share about raising yields and profits. Industry experts will discuss drainage law, estate planning, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you dozens of research plots and have equipment running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day. Register now at agphd.com. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, getting a crop progress update, and we would love to hear from you. We'd love to hear how things are going on your farm and in your area, and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head down to Kansas. We've got Marty on with us right now. Marty, how's it going? Hey, guys. It's it's going around here anyway. <laughs> All right. Uh, so talk to us about it. You guys catching... Uh, too much rain where you're at or, or what are things looking like we've been pretty good corn was really hurting we had a ton of rain in may uh came back in a top dress and it didn't rain for three weeks and then we got four inches uh so it's it's turned around corn looks good uh but we're still struggling with getting a soybean stand uh, we're still replanting some ends and and some low areas uh, for us ideally we want to plant beans to second week of may because we don't grow any wheat um but we didn't get in until the first second first week of june and then it got dry and it got hot and had some sit in the dirt had some swell and rot so we're still trying to clean up our mess yeah that is a challenge i, I know what you mean we've we've uh, planted some late stuff and oh my goodness if it gets hot and dry it's it's really tough what do you say would be a an acceptable stand at this point where you say yeah that's enough for me is your cutoff eighty thousand or is it a little more or less probably probably eighty eighty five a lot more we we use an air seeder so it's it's harder to get a stand count than with with a planter um but I, you can get a lot from just spraying. I've done most of the spraying uh, on the second application. Um, so I've been able to see everything and kind of make a good judgment there because you, you just can't get a good feel for driving down the road or walking into the field 100 yards as you can running a sprayer across the whole thing. Sure, sure. Oh, okay, you said the corn is, is looking much better. Is it all tasseled now, or where are you at with the growth stage? Yeah, we, 
we actually got really lucky. We got a rain and then got a week of cool weather, and it pollinated during that week of cool weather. So awesome. um, we're pollinated. Uh, tassels are just it, silks are, are, you know, they're they're getting they're starting to dry just, just a little bit. So we're all pollinated, and, and uh, it looks good. If we we're just gonna need some more rain, some some cooperation. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's that's a, a big chunk of the battle, and I, I don't think non-farmers have any idea about this. We get questions about, how come my sweet corn ear doesn't look perfect and these kinds of things? And so we end up talking about how each one of those silks needs to catch pollen, and if we're ridiculously hot and dry like Kansas can be quite often, that can be a challenge. So it's good to hear that, that you got good weather for corn pollination. Now we just need enough moisture and enough mild days here to get these soybeans rolling. So you're putting in beans now. Are you still going with kind of a full season bean or, or what do you put yeah. in for maturity? These are, fi- these are a five one we're putting in now, mostly because they'll get some height to them. Um, usually we, we plant a lot of four eights and five O's. Uh, but this late while we were looking for something with some heights, so we're not out there trying to combine 12 inch high beans. And, and around here we don't, there's a lot of times we don't get a frost till the end of October. So, we're, uh, we've still got plenty of time if it'll rain in August. It's not ideal, but you, you got to do something, you know. Sure, sure. Well, Marty, good luck to you here. Hopefully hopefully you get the weather that you need to, to get this crop up and rolling, and glad to hear the corn is as far along as it is. That sounds great. Yep, yep. All right, take care. Appreciate you guys. You bet. You as well. We've got Rock with us right now out in Illinois. Rock, how's it going? Wonderful day today. We have a light rain going on, and it's we had light rain Saturday and Sunday, and it's just a beautiful time. My dad grew up in north central Iowa, and my mom in South Dakota. And dad said he didn't understand for a few years why my mom was always smiling so big when it rained until he moved to South Dakota and realized it doesn't just rain all the time. So it sounds like maybe maybe the rain is quite welcome for you, too. Well, this is kind of an unusual year. Uh, we've got a lot of highly erodible sand in this area, as well as some very, very, very tight black gumbo soils. And we can really get hurt bad early on in the spring planting season with the three, four inch rain in those tight soils. And then we ended up with drowned out spots and, you know, bad yellow areas. And we luckily avoided those this area in this area this year. We're in a very fortunate area. It's kind of unusual. But uh, as of July 12th, uh, we are looking very, very good. Now, we have to get through August yet. But uh, as of today, we're, we're really in good shape. We're about 30 miles east of Moline. All right. Talk to us about your corn crop then. What stage of growth are you at? Is it all tasseled, all pollinated yet? The early corn is just starting to tassel right now where we've lined up uh, our aerial application. And we're a few days away yet from uh, starting that. Uh, some fields have tasseled, but the majority are just starting. So we're a few days away yet from full tassel. But we're cool this week and more chances of rain this week. We're in a pretty ideal situation. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so you said aerial app. Or is that fungicide, I'm assuming, that you're putting on? Or are you putting on something different? Yes, fungicide and then some uh, trace elements. Okay. Is it mainly gray leaf spot you're concerned about? Or are you looking at plant health? Why, why are in your area, why are guys choosing to use fungicide? From applications we've made in the past, we see such an increase in health and standability, especially those last fields that you harvest in the season. Uh, when you have a nice big wide leaf there and you can tell that plant stayed alive longer, better root structure, 
and then also test weight on that grain. We see we think we see an increase in that test weight because that plant fed that kernel longer. So with the prices we have right now, we're going to uh, put fungicide on more acres than we probably have in the past. Outstanding. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, if you've got enough moisture, like you said, and, and to be fair, you said August can still happen and it can be hot and dry and nasty too. But at this point, if you've got potential, I love it. I love making that investment to, to try and make your crop great. Well, Rock, thank you so much. Really appreciate the update. Hopefully you get that weather that you're needing to. That's that's great. Great talk with you fellas and hopefully might possibly see you at your field day. Oh, that would be great. We would love to see you, Rock. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye now. Brian, we got a question that Jared had sent in, and he said, I'm in Western Australia. I've got a question for you about sodic soils. I'd like to put in some drain tile, and there are other farmers that have tried it here, uh, but because we've got high iron levels in the soil after five years or so, the holes in the drain tile are blocking up. I do have some deep drainage running through the paddock that I'd love to put drain tile uh, to tee into. Any idea on a solution to keep the holes free of buildup in these high iron soils? Uh, yeah, get, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. During our next commercial break, I'll look back at my notes and I'll see if I've got something for you. But the iron okra it ends up being the the issue a lot of times with that. And I'll just say this: iron is an unbelievably valuable nutrient. And we're suffering from lack of it here where we farm right now because we've mined a lot out of the soil. And then what is there is a little bit deeper and and not in as high a concentration and we're dry. And so we're not getting as much iron into the plants as we should. So we're actually going to have to start fertilizing more for iron, which I never thought we were going to have to do. But I don't want to run into these problems when we're dry. Anyway, in terms of the tile, the one thing some guys have said is, well, just put the tile lines down a little bit deeper, but quite often we see bigger uh, levels of iron deeper yet. So on the other hand, I might throw out, put the lines a little more shallow. That's kind of what we've done on our farm. We're at two and a half or three feet deep with a lot of the lines. And then, yes, you might have to have more lines and have them a little closer together, but you're not deep and typically deep is where we do see more iron. So, you know, I guess the other way that I would approach this is I would run some soil tests down to the depth where I would like to put my tile lines and let's find out what's actually down there because I don't care what somebody says for the area and I've had problems. I'd like to know for my field, you know what I mean? Because I don't know how much variability you have in your soils from field to field or neighbor to neighbor there, but I know here there's an there's a massive difference. So just because some some neighbor has a problem five or ten or twenty miles away doesn't mean I'm going to have the problem. If you test your soil, you're going to start to have an idea whether or not you've got a problem. And like I say, I'll I'll look back at my notes here. I don't remember off the top of my head what I've what I've suggested or what's worked for that in the past for guys. But we'll look that up and I'll finish, finish answering this question before the end of the show today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. 
Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucento fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. When it comes to crop disease, the longer you wait, the more damage you do. Stop the clock on crop disease with DuPont Approach Prima Fungicide from Corteva AgriScience. Approach Prima Fungicide quickly surrounds the surface of the plant for rapid absorption, then moves throughout the plant, providing full protection of each leaf and stem, even those that have yet to emerge. Uptake occurs on day one for healthier corn, soybean, or wheat crop that can deliver higher yield potential and increased revenue per acre. For more information, visit approachprima.corteva.us or your local crop protection retailer. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, getting a crop progress update, and we'd love to hear how the crop is doing in your area or on your farm. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, and you can always email us as well, radio at agphd.com, especially if you have a picture or a tissue test or something like that you'd like to talk about. Uh, radio at agphd.com is a great way we can take a look at it at the same time as you are, and maybe we'll Pick something up from it. Who knows? Uh, let's head out to Iowa right now. we got Rick with us. Rick, how's it going? Going well. How about you guys? Pretty good. Pretty good. How's your crop looking? You know, we are looking good. Um, we're living hand-to-mouth on water. So far, so good. 
You know, uh, Iowa's been normally one of those areas. I know growing up, uh, we were farming in South Dakota, and I thought, man, when I go see our relatives in Iowa, they always have a good crop over there. But it's been kind of tough the last couple of years through a lot of different areas of Iowa. Uh, what was last year like for your farm, and do you see any of the uh, residual effects of that carrying into this year? Well, but and Darren, before he answers that question, let me just say – when we talk about Iowa in general, yeah, our dad was originally from Iowa, and so we're paying close attention all the time to what's happening in Iowa as well, whether it's still our relatives that are down there or anybody farming in Iowa. Iowa is an enormous ag state. There's a lot on the line every year for the state of Iowa, and so, yeah, we're curious. Go ahead, Darren, ask your question again. What was it? Well, I was wondering, Rick, did you get hit by the derecho or any drought last year, and do you see different different ground responding to that this year a little bit um yes we we were lucky enough to be part of both of those last year oh my goodness <laughs> um it you know last year we were dry at this point also it started raining the 16th of july last year and we had two weeks in there where things really went well and then obviously things went to crap after that but uh you know we're like i said we've we were dry for the month of june but crops, you know, we've we've picked up a little rain. We had another eight tenths total um, this weekend out of three rains. So, like I said, we've we're living hand to mouth, but things look good. And you know, obviously, a lot of volunteer corn in the beans. I mean, there's beans being sprayed a second time. Um, I had some corn on corn that I cultivated because there was enough volunteer corn in it. I thought it warranted that. So, but uh, corn's tasseling. Um, I'm say we're probably 60, 70% tasseled right now. So all in all look good, but we're going to need some rain. So Yeah. Yeah, sure. Well, and it's, it's a high demand time right now when you get tassels out, you're needing somewhere in the neighborhood of three tenths of an inch of rain each day. So it's, it's a big draw, no doubt about that. And getting the nutrients in there is important. Did you do good on your nitrogen program this year? I know with the, the off and on weather that we've had, there were some guys struggling to get that on. Yeah, I'm I'm very fortunate. We use uh, a fair amount of manure, which gives you both, you know, access to it immediately, and then there's some residual from years past. Uh, sure. My program is pretty simple. I, I basically put anhydrous on, and then a little bit of 32% when I plant, and then uh, go from there. Obviously, we use stabilizers and whatnot. Try to do the best we can, but uh, we will do some uh, tissue tests. We do every year just to make sure we're not too much or too little but uh you know that's that's a little ways off yet so well good to hear that that the crop's doing well and i know like like everyone uh need a little bit of rain to keep her going we got a little ways to go to the finish line here but but hey we got tassels out and and doing good now it's got awesome awesome a lot more fun than than last year the way that turned out well rick thank yeah. you so much really appreciate hearing from you and good luck here the rest of the way well thank you gentlemen you too let's head out to ohio got our friend mark with us right now mark how's it going Oh, well, how are you today? You know, we're doing pretty well here, too. We finally caught some rain over the weekend. That makes everybody a little happier. How about on your part of Ohio? I hear the crops are pretty good out there. We have some excellent crops. We've got corn, uh, some, I would say, brown silk. Um, I don't want to say fully pollinated, but close. Uh, and then other, a lot of other fields are just ready to start tasseling. So corn looks really good. Beans were a couple weeks away from fungicide treatments on beans, uh, but they're late vegetative stage and I don't think we could be much happier. We were a little dry early June, but you know, giving some nice rain here recently. We're not blessed or surplus on rain, but we have some nice rain. 
Outstanding. All right. Any big experiments you're looking at? Do you see anything out in the field this year that you say, wow, I might be onto something here? Well, I, uh, I don't know that we're onto something, but we're finding some spots that have just shown up being weak, you know, either flying a drone over them or being across it, putting on some late season in that don't look quite as good as we hoped for. We're getting some extra tissue samples pulled and some extra uh, soil samples done just to figure out what is going on. Not widespread, but I think a lot of it is sulfur-driven. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, we're trying to maybe make some late sulfur applications if we can and uh, try to prevent the problem from being back next year. Yeah, there's more than one thing that will make a crop look a little yellow, and and sulfur is one of those culprits that we're seeing in a lot of these cases. And you know, it, it's just interesting. Do you do you do tissue samples, Mark? Did you say, or are you looking at soil samples? How are you determining which which nutrient is well, is the culprit here? Well, both. You know, uh, trying to get across it as often as we can, and then, uh, you know, the drone images are more helpful. But we're pulling both where we need to. Not that we're not uh, aggressive with our Soil sampling, but you know those other spots we're trying to take extra samples. Did we miss them in the pattern sampling, or you know, something not show up that we really need to be addressing? And part of it might be root development. You know, maybe we planted a spot a little too wet, and the roots just really aren't pulling in that nice uh, nutrient. But we're trying to figure it out as we go. But thankfully, it's not widespread areas. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well. Uh... Mark, I know you raised some excellent yields out there. Really rooting for you. Hopefully you just crush it this year. Good speaking with you again, and, and good luck here the rest of the way. Thank you, sir. Let's head up to southern Ontario. Got Jim on with us right now. Jim, how are things looking up in your area? Well, we don't need any more rain. <laughs> uh, well, we caught a little bit of rain, Jim, but we'll take any extra you got. If you could just send it back over here to South Dakota, that'd be great. Well, we've had 10 inches in the last 12 days. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's that's and a that, lot to handle. That is that is not normal. Usually we're irrigating by now, but this year we haven't even looked at a pipe. Wow. Well, that's yeah, the way the irrigator pays the best, isn't it, when you don't even have to use it? Yeah, that's, that's generally a rule of thumb. <laughs> All right, so I hear you raised tobacco up there. I didn't even realize that crop was grown in southern Ontario. How's that looking? Well, usually, and yes, this, there's a few of us still here, but uh, the crop is looking phenomenal. We've not had a crop like this, and I've been growing tobacco for 35 years, and I haven't seen a crop like this in my 35 years of growing. Outstanding. It's okay. well advanced. When when does harvest start in tobacco, or are you already taking some leaves? No, we're uh, we're about two three weeks away, and uh, when we hit it, we'll hit it hard because we'll be done we'll be done a lot sooner this year than we've been in a long time. Yeah, that is an interesting crop. I, I've really enjoyed. I've been out to a number of tobacco farms over the years, and and I like being around for the harvest process and and the dryers and all that goes into that. It's it's uh, really really interesting to me. Uh, how did you you say there's just a few tobacco growers left in the area? So I assume you're still able to get good contracts up there. Uh, how how did that work? How'd you get started? Well, we started. Uh right after I got married and uh, we share group for a number of years and then we just started leasing and uh, we've been leasing ever since it seems to be a a good easy way to exit the industry if uh, if we need to because of the 
the decline in the industry. So we have set ourselves up so that we can exit if we need to because of the volatility sure. of the industry. Yep. So that's how we've set ourselves up. Yeah, you got to look long term. That's for sure. Uh, well, Jim, really appreciate the call. I, I guess uh, I, I'm always learning something on the show today, and uh, I don't know what you do with 10 inches of rain in 12 days. I, there's only so many places that can go, but I know what you can do with a great crop. You can make some money on it. So good luck to you here, Jim, as, as Harvest Nears, and thanks for calling. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate your show. Thanks. Back in 2014, June 1, our water table was at the lowest point in recorded history. We got 20 inches of rain in 20 days. And uh, that was a lot. We handled the first 10 or 15 just fine. But yeah, if you're dry enough, you can handle lots of rain. But if you've already, you're already kind of wet, uh, getting 10 inches uh, or 12 inches, that's, uh, that's not fun. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Do you need to replant soybeans due to cold temperatures, heavy rains, or another weather event? Weeds don't seem to care, and you have limited options for last-minute weed control. This is when you turn to Spitfire herbicide from New Farm. Unlike other Phenoxy herbicides, Spitfire can be applied up to seven days before planting. Fields treated with the dual active power of Spitfire will benefit from weed control that will ease planting and help your beans establish a good stand. Spitfire from New Farm, here to help. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, 
Three no-excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today getting a crop progress update from around North America, the United States and Canada at least. If you would like to tell us how your crop's doing or how things are looking on your farm, we'd love to hear from you. 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you could email us, radio at agphd.com. So a little bit earlier in the show, we had a question come in about iron okra, and I, I couldn't remember off the top of my head if there was something that we had come up with to solve that problem, but here are just some of the tips that we've got for you. I had to look back at my notes. Uh, so anyway, iron okra, just to give you a, a little explanation what this is, basically, it, it, we'll, we'll talk tile lines for right now, okay? Uh, How do you spell I, that, by the way, oh, Brian? Cause, o- cause, O-C-H-R-E, yeah. iron okra. Because Jared, Jared's in Western Australia, and I'm not sure if they're using the same terminology as we are up here or whatnot. And sometimes that's one of those yeah, holdups for folks that are trying to look at some of the research done in different parts of the world. Yep. Okay, so iron okra is our problem, and really what we're talking about is ferrous oxide that basically hardens. Uh, oh, so here, let me step back. So iron gets into your tile lines. As soon as it gets in there and hits air, then there's this bacteria that needs air to to survive. Uh, And it will turn that into ferrous oxide, and it'll be a rust color. So it'll end up slimy, and eventually it could harden and clog up your tile lines. Okay, so the only real solution is jet cleaning and i know there was one company out there that they used 1300 psi but basically you have to put a hose up the entire length of your tile lines and shoot the stuff out of there and you can imagine 1300 psi that's going to uh, that, that that that's going to do some damage <laughs> to the iron okra anyway in terms of how you can avoid this or not necessarily avoid it but at least avoid it uh, avoid major problems in the short term what they talk about is keeping your tile line shorter um, so there's less iron going all the way through like the very end or near the ends of the tile lines you could use bigger tile lines that's one of the things too that our dad always told us he was originally from Iowa where everything was tiled and he just said guys look eventually all tile lines plug up Okay, I mean, it might be 50 years, might be 100 years, might be 200 years, but the point is they're all going to plug up. So if you can afford bigger lines, so instead of going from a 3-inch or using a 3-inch, use a 4-inch. Instead of using a 4, use a 6. Instead of a 6, use an 8 or whatever. He just said if you can use bigger tile lines, then it's going to take that much longer for anything to fill in, and we're going to say the same thing to you on this iron okra deal. Use some bigger tile lines. That should at least delay your problem and hopefully you don't have to have somebody coming in as often to clean out your tile lines. Now I also said earlier today that 
crops need lots of iron, especially corn, but every crop needs lots of iron. So if you raise more yield, and this is the solution to a lot of our problems in agriculture, more yield. If we just get more yield, that's going to pull more iron out of that soil. So eventually, hopefully, you're in the spot we are where we have to add iron. Now, I'm not saying it's good that we have fertilizer expense, but I am saying it's good that we don't have this iron okra problem because we have sucked a lot of iron out of our soil. Uh, there's also some suggestions. Some people want you to drain into an open ditch. If you use more open ditches, then that's going to obviously reduce the problem. But I personally don't like open ditches because then everybody gets to see however much water you are or are not moving. So I don't really like that. Uh, another way to handle this is keep your laterals and main lines short. So in other words, subdivide fields. So for example, if like for us, we have an 80-acre field, in some cases we've split that up into kind of like two fields of 40 acres for drainage purposes so we could run with smaller lines. Well, you could also go down to about four fields of 20 and split it up that way. So just something for you to think about. Another big thing is getting percolation through your soil. So make sure that you've got good calcium levels and try to build up your organic matter levels over time. That gives you better percolation in that soil. And by the way, for calcium, we're talking a minimum of 65% on a base saturation test, but preferably closer to 75% for better percolation in that soil. I'll also tell you steep lines, so in other words, lines that have more slope to them, are going to have fewer issues because you got more water pushing faster and shoving that iron okra out. Finally, last thing I'll throw out to you is in residential areas, one of the reasons why they put chlorine in water is to kill this bacteria that causes the ferrous oxide or iron okra. And the reason why this is chlorine just kills microbes, bacteria and fungi. We talk about that often here on the show. So in residential situations, that's one of the reasons why you don't see as much iron building up as you might uh, calcium, for example, or something like that. So anyway, just a little explanation on this iron okra deal. Unfortunately, we don't have a complete answer for you, but hopefully those things could help you just a little bit. All right, not an easy, not an easy challenge, no, no doubt about that. All right, this one comes from Grant, and he's in Australia. He said, our, normally our corn is growing during the summer months for us, October through February, and I know your crop is just on the opposite schedule. We're harvesting our corn at 17 or 18% moisture, and it comes down rapidly with the summer heat as we finish off, but we've got an extremely wet summer and autumn period. We've planted our corn late, which will be due to be harvested in July, which is our midwinter. I've noticed that Brian and Darren talk a lot about harvesting corn around 20 or 22% moisture, and then they dry down the grain. Yes. Now, we do dry grain, but I've never dried it down from that high a moisture percentage. Just wondering, what is your reason for taking it off that wet, and is the cost of drying a big factor, or is it simply to reduce the damage to the grain and get it off before deteriorating weather? Just wondering the pros and cons about doing that and if you have to set the combine different and so forth. Yeah, you don't probably have to set the combine a whole lot different or anything. But the big, the big reason why we're doing this is we want it to be just a little wetter. We're not saying harvest at 30% or anything, but at 20 or 22%, we just see a lot less harvest loss. We see fewer lodging problems. We see less corn ear, fewer corn ears on the ground and fewer corn kernels on the ground. 
which then means we have more bushels, so we have more yield. We can pay for whatever drying cost we have. Also, there's less volunteer corn the following year, so there's less cost on that end as well. But uh, I'll just say in terms of having this, this wetter corn, yes, it's going to cost you some money to dry it down. The, the thing that I often argue, because I was the guy who ran the grain dryers on our farm for 20 years, I ran them every year, day and night, and I can just tell you this. When it's warm outside and sunny, it took way less propane for us to dry that corn, and it was way easier. So I don't mind harvesting a week or two earlier and having a little bit wetter corn because it sailed through the dryers. And the other the other big thing is in our area, and so every area is a little different, but in our area, and I talked about this earlier in the show, we need to finish harvest as early as we can because we've got so much work to do in the fall. Then the snow flies, ground freezes, and we're done. And if we don't get all that stuff done that we want to, fertility, tillage, everything in the fall, then it stacks up on us in the spring and we can't plant timely. And then we lose yield, and that's a proven fact. So we want to make sure that we are getting our work done in the fall. And so if nothing else, at least do some side-by-side stuff. We've had a lot of guys do this where they'll take half a field, harvest it at 20 or 22, take the other half, harvest it at 17, and just see how they come out financially on each end. It's going to be a lot more challenging if you don't have your own grain drying setup, it's probably not going to be economical because if you haul it into some grain elevator and they charge you a lot for drying, well, like I say, it's probably not going to be worth it economically. But like for us, I figure it's a penny a point to dry grain down. And it was less than that last year because propane was as cheap as I can ever remember it last year. Now, granted, it's not as cheap as it's ever been, but I'm just saying in the last 20 years, that's as cheap as it had ever gotten. And so when I'm looking at that cheap a cost, I go, yeah, we, we got to do this. And then we get started earlier. We get our work done in the fall and it's, it's really, really good. So, yep, there's a little more cost, but those benefits far outweigh the costs, at least for us. And if nothing else, like I say, at least get started on a field or two or three so you can get some of these other jobs done. All right. Uh, we're going to continue answering your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up right after this. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, 
So be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Please join us for the Ag PhD Field Day coming up Thursday, July 29th on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day is the largest farm field day in America, and we have a lot planned again this year. We host the event just one day each year as a way to say thank you for listening to Ag PhD Radio and watching Ag PhD TV. We have free admission, free parking, and free food and drinks throughout the day. We've got yield champs from across the country speaking about raising higher yields and increasing profits. We also have speakers on drainage law, estate planning, changes in farm tax laws, grain marketing, and the H-2A program. Plus, we'll show you some of the dozens of research plots we're working on. Rob Sharkey will be there to do a live Shark Farmer radio show, and we'll have equipment both on display and running out in the field from Case IH, John Deere, Agco, and more. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 29th. Go to agphd.com to learn more and register. Your soil, your season, your edge. Make the new three-point Soil Warrior Edge from Environmental Tillage Systems your strip tillage system. Because you don't get to choose the condition of your soil, the Soil Warrior Edge is engineered to handle whatever's in your fields. That same durable engineering goes the extra acre when that's what you have to do. The new Soil Warrior Edge three-point mounted strip till system. Learn more at SoilWarrior.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. And we are in the Ag PhD mailbag time now, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, radio at agphd.com, which is exactly what David in Pennsylvania did. In fact, he sent a bunch of pictures with weeds out in a field of teff grass, T-E-F-F, for those of you who haven't heard of teff. Anyway, uh He's got some problems here, and he said, here's the challenge. There's no herbicides labeled for teff grass, and, but I've got weeds coming. We've got pigweed, water hemp, water hemp, pigweed, lamb's quarters, ragweed, mare's tail. It's a challenge. We don't have a history of Roundup-resistant weeds. I know I can't use Roundup in crop, of course, but he said we've got some lamb's quarters and mare's tail in the area that are thought to be resistant to 2,4-D, uh, I've got a 12-acre field is all. I could hand-pull the big weed escapes, but there's too much out there for hand-pulling to do the job. Are there any herbicides that you would try? Okay. First of all, if there was truly nothing labeled, which, by the way, there is stuff labeled for teff grass, uh, but if there was truly nothing labeled saying what herbicides would I try, I can't say I would try any herbicides because there's nothing labeled and the label's the law and I'm not going to use something that's off-label. So that's the first problem. Uh, in terms of what I would use, I do know there, well, I, I I didn't have a chance to look up all the products that are labeled, but I know one that has gotten used is, uh, I'm not sure how you say the name, but Latigo and uh, L-A-T-I-G-O, all it is is a combination of 2,4-D and dicamba. And I, I didn't go through the different dicamba and 2,4-D labels. Uh, it looked like Freelex was not labeled, but this Latigo is. And that will kill lambs, quarters, pigweed, mare's tail, ragweed, problem solved. 
Okay. There you go, David. You get a you get one choice anyway, and and you know the big thing is you get some weeds that are really big, and I do think you're going to have a struggle with those great big ones for sure. And so you want to spray as timely as you can because ideally we're trying to kill two inch tall weeds or smaller. If you have to, up to four inches tall is fine, but you've already lost yield, obviously. And then the other big thing is just to fertilize your crop well and try to make sure you have good crop canopy. Because if you have a nice, thick crop of teff and it's getting tall, it's going to choke out a lot of weeds. So ideally, that's what we're shooting for. All right. Thanks for the questions. Uh, Oh, and yeah, just get that stand thick and try and use as much of the natural crop canopy and just thick crop to choke out any weeds as much as you possibly can. Okay, get this from Matthew. He is up in central North Dakota. He said, we're currently grid soil sampling and we're doing variable rate P and K for one year of corn and one year of soybeans. So doing it every couple of years. So we're doing it in the fall before the spring that we plant corn. We're planning on switching to strip till. We're going to get a soil warrior machine, use the coulters to till in the fertilizer in the top six inches is number one. Curious what you think about that. Uh, looking at an 18 row, 22 inch wide strip till machine. We're going to be flat rating our fertilizer. Wait, wait, wait. Let's let's handle okay. one question at a time. So okay. say say that again. They're going to get a soil warrior, yep. 18 row, yes, 22 inch strip till machine, and they're going to till in their fertilizer in the top six inches and band. Okay, when you start talking strip till in 22-inch rows, our concern gets to be residue. How much residue are you going to have? What's his rotation? Corn and soybeans. Okay, so... Central North Dakota. Yeah, gotcha. So we aren't talking like a super high-yield area, but nevertheless, I mean, that residue gets to be the concern. Is there enough room in between the rows for that residue to go. So I'm not saying I have any big problem with it, but what I am saying is the deeper you go, the more you push residue out. So it's it's a little concerning. Uh, but he, he said he's running coulters, correct? Yep. So yes. So that makes me feel better than the uh, if you were running a, uh, a shank in 22 inch rows. But anyway, that's my only real concern with that. Now, in central North Dakota, it's pretty dry, and especially this year, it's really dry. Strip till does make a lot of sense. I'm just slightly concerned about the 22-inch rows and the residue, maybe long-term. Not necessarily this year, but long-term. Will there be enough space for that residue? You'll just have to see. Okay. Then next, he said, uh, once you look at our fertilizer program, our plan was flat rating fertility for corn for simplicity and then variable rating the PNK before we put soybeans in, which will be the 2023 crop. On a farm average, our soil samples usually call for about 225 pounds of mez, 75 pounds of potash for two years of production. Whoa, uh, no way. No way. 75 for two years of production of potash? He said we're fertilizing for 170 bushel corn. Yeah, and how many beans? Well, I would say if you're getting 170 bushel corn, you're probably looking at 55 bushel beans. Doesn't say not in that area. No, probably 45 bushel beans. Okay. But okay, uh, here. Actually, I'm going to look this up just because I'm like, there is no way 75 pounds of potash is going to cut that for two years. On average, they've got about 26 parts per million on a malic phosphorus test and 3.2% base saturation K. Yeah, but my point is, you're going to be removing way more than 75 pounds of potash. So here, get, give me just one second. All right, so corn, 175 bushels, or sorry, 170 bushels, you said. So just the grain removal only, that's going to take 42 and a half pounds of K2O potassium. 
And let's say we did 45 bushel beans, which to your point, yes, I mean, I think you could do better than that, but let's just say it's, it's that. Uh, so if I've got, let's see, 45 bushel beans. Okay, so the K removal there is 54. So I got 42 and a half, so I've got 96 and a half. If I take 96 and a half divided by 60%, 96.5 divided by 0.6, I've got 161 pounds of potash. So you need to put 161 pounds of potash out, not 75. Okay, go ahead. All right, so here's what they were going to do for corn. They were going to flat rate 75 pounds of potash, 150 pounds of mez, 75 pounds of ESN, and 125 pounds of a 41004 sulfur followed by in-season variable rate application of 28% and micros through the Y-drop. Okay. Then before they do 2023 20, soybeans. Wait, micros through the Y-drop is also concerning to me because if you're putting copper out there and you're putting zinc out there, it's not getting down in the ground. So you're not going to get use out of that this year at all. So I would not put my micros no. out that way, but that's me. If you were going to put boron and yes. sulfur with the yes. 28% that also move pretty rapidly that, for soil. fantastic. That would be okay. Yes. Okay, and then he said before 2023, soybeans are going to variable rate P and K based on grid samples, maybe okay. some sulfur and zinc, gotcha. and, and possibly even do some Y dropping there too. Mm -hmm. They're just wondering, is this too much fertility to put in a six-inch strip? And when is it too early to apply nitrogen in the fall for spring crops based on their area? And wondering, can they apply anything uh, early. Okay, so first of all, the, oh, well, sorry, can they? Let's, add how anything? about let's ask uh, answer one question <laughs> at a time, right? You ask well, three questions because here's, at the same here's time. Here's the challenge, though. So right? ask the first sometimes one. when you only get one, <laughs> then you say something that when the next question comes, you're like, "Oh, well, I didn't realize they could Y drop." If I don't ask all the questions, you don't know those things. So, are you they gave putting? Me all the first of all, the fertilizer we talked. Very short answer. You get ten seconds. Are we putting too much in the top six-inch strip? No. Okay, that's a simple one. Then next, can I add something to nitrogen to allow us to apply it in the fall, and how early could I apply nitrogen in the fall for a spring crop? I don't like nitrogen put out in the fall at all, even with a stabilizer, unless it's anhydrous. Okay. and you know, just So to can you do a little bit? Sure. But I... I we will not do that on our farm. I mean, other than, let's say it's MAP. Okay, so you got 18 pounds or, you know, uh, DAP, uh, I should say, and 18. Or let's say it's MAP and I've got 11 or whatever. You know, I I mean, so sure, 50 pounds or something, no big deal. But you start doing 100, 200 pounds and it's liquid 28% or urea, no thanks. I'm not interested. I'll do it in the spring. All right. Thanks for the questions, Matt. And yeah, as you get, get more into this program, you've got some more follow-up. We, we'd be sure happy to help. Get this from Anissa, and we've gotten a number of these types of questions, so I thought this would be a good one to end the show on here. Uh, she said, plan on coming to the field day, and I'm aware you have golf cart rentals. My dad is wondering if he can bring his own. He's had knee surgery, and, yes. and of course, walking a long distance is tougher for him, but he want, really wants to come to the field day. He does carry liability insurance on it, too. Just looking forward to your event. Yep. So, yes, you can bring your own golf cart. That would be just fine. No problem. Our field day is 
the last Thursday in July every year. So this year, that's Thursday, July 29th. And uh, if you're listening to the show, you're invited. We put it on every year to say thanks for listening to Ag PhD and thanks for watching us on TV as well. Just go to agphd.com for more information about our schedule and what we're doing that day. But it's a one-day event. It's, it's a lot of fun, fantastic. You'll learn a lot. Uh, so again, go to agphd.com. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.